Um, I have a, a, a word that I want to share as we kind of con- as we kind of conclude uh, the summer at Pathway series, and um, it's a little bit different in that um, it's 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 I don't know it's a message, um, but I don't know that you preach it. I think I think it's 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 like it's simple. It's so simplistic, but yet it is refocusing. And have you ever noticed sometimes like like I, I play golf? Uh, well. There have been times in my life when I played golf. <laughs> right now, I guess I'm waiting for retirement to play again. Um, but but in playing golf, I, I remember so many times you go out, you just have a bad day. You're like, man, I can't hit this stupid little ball. Um, and then you know you, you go to your swing coach or even a good friend. And you're like, hey, what what are you seeing here? And 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 they're like something so simple, like you're just pulling your head up just a little bit early. And it's like the most fundamental thing that you can't hit something you can't see. So if you're swinging. You know, you, you can't hit something you can't see. It's so fundamental. It's just so fundamental and it's so simplistic, but you needed them to refocus you and recenter you because you're sitting here, is my grip wrong? Is my stance wrong? Maybe I'm too, tempo's off too fast, coming over the top, tucking underneath. What am I doing? And if you're not playing golf, you're like, really? You can do all those things in golf? Oh, there are so many ways to mess up a golf swing. Trust me. <laughs> um, but but anyways, um, at any rate, I just kind of felt like when when I was out on break, um, and you know, last week we talked about praise. Um, but this week I felt like the Lord just quickened me in, in my heart with a very simplistic, but, but recentering and refocusing in a way message, uh, for us. And so I want to dive into that. So if you'll turn to Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter eight, if you will. Um, and, um, I'm really excited by the way, about next week, next week I start a series called who needs church. Who needs church? And so, um, so it, it'd be fun. Uh, but this is this is going to be good. And and I know this is hot off the press because we sometimes when we have those days where things are challenging, I'm like, uh huh, it's the devil, and the devil's a liar. And this morning my computer wouldn't work, and my iPad somehow had gotten uncharged. <laughs> it's the devil. Anyways, all right. Um, Hebrews 8, what's going on? So, so the writer of Hebrews, which we're not sure exactly who that is, uh, most people believe it was either Paul or, or one of his buddies, uh, Apollos or someone like that. He is writing to uh, Jews, um, and uh, it says to the Jews in Italy, so, or it's written from Italy, that's kind of the reference we have, so we think maybe he's writing to Jews in Rome, or, or maybe he's writing from Rome to, to Jews. Either way, it's written to Jewish believers, um, so Messianic Jews, Jews, Jews who have professed faith in Jesus. Um, so there obviously are Hebrews or Jews who have not professed faith in Jesus. They're Orthodox Jews. Messianic Jews are the, those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So he's writing to Messianic Jews. Um, and he's writing to encourage them because they are under uh, pretty intense persecution. Um, I mean, their businesses are being boycotted. They're being mistreated. Um, they're even being threatened with imprisonment and those type of things. And, and so they're really pondering, is this Jesus worth following? Because we believe in God. Could we not just return back to um, essentially Judaism or, or, or following the Torah or the law? And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to tell them, no, 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 don't turn back because Jesus 
is, is supreme. In fact, you can see the four sections. Jesus is supreme, and he kind of walks through these. He's supreme to angels and the Torah. He is supreme to Moses and the promised land. He is supreme to priest and even Melchizedek, who was a foreshadowing in a way of Christ that they are very familiar with when Abraham met this figure in the Old Testament called Melchizedek, who didn't seem to have a beginning or an ending. Most people think it was Christophany or Christ appearing. So, so he's superior to priests and, and Melchizedek, even Melchizedek, and, and he's superior to um, the sacrifices and the old covenant. And so he is writing to tell them, look, Jesus is superior. Like, like this is the new or the better way. You see the word better a lot in, in, um, in the writing uh, of the book of Hebrews. And so he is writing, and each section would have a warning uh, that he would attach with it, the writer. And so in this last section, Jesus is su- supreme. Uh, he is supreme to, uh, to, to the old covenant. He's supreme to the law, the sacrifices, all of those things. And so the warning is, so don't, don't turn away from God's grace. Don't turn back to the law. Don't, don't turn away from God's grace. And so that's what, that's what he is talking to them about in this section. So this section four is Hebrews 8 through 10. Um, And in chapter eight, he's going to quote from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a young priest uh, in Judah, in Jerusalem. And and God raises him up to be a prophet. And he starts, uh, the first part of his book really is he is prophesying the consequences of Israel's rebellion against God and setting up high places of worship, uh, and that he even he even predicts that um, that God will use Babylon as His judgment on Israel or Judah or God's people and take them into exile into Babylon, which is what happens. That's how we get the Book of Daniel, um, right? And so so he predicts that, but he closes out with, "But then God will not abandon His people." Um, but he will renew his covenant with them by writing that covenant on their hearts. And so this is what the writer of Hebrews is actually quoting in Hebrews 8. Um, and we're going to read verse 6 through 13. So everybody got Bible school today, right? So I know you were sitting here wondering about these things this morning, and so I've helped you. Um, it says, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there wouldn't have been a need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, that I will make, this is from Jeremiah, 700 and something years earlier. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And this covenant will be, not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They didn't remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. By the way, that turn the back um, is the same picture of what, Jesus, what God would have done on the cross when Jesus said, you've forsaken me. It's because God is preeminent and can only receive what is holy. And so this is not like God being mean. It's saying I'm holy and they were not, and they turned their back on the covenant. I had to turn my back on them. So you just got to understand. Sometimes we are like, God is so mean. No, 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 no. He's so holy. That's, 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 the, that's the chasm that, that, that had to be overcome. So it says, um, when I led them out of Egypt and, and I had to turn my back on them, says the Lord, verse 10, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God 
and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. And when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he's made the first one obsolete. It's now out of date and will soon disappear. Um, I call this message better than you think. Better than you think. Can, can we pray? God, we have gathered in this place to meet with you, and yet you have gathered to meet with us. And so, God, we pray for these next few moments that nothing would steal our focus, our attention, but, God, that we would just fix our gaze on you and we'd set our hearts to hear from you. Um, God, so that we wouldn't miss anything that you want to communicate to us. God, as you want to speak to us, God, help us to catch every syllable. Help us to catch every word. God, open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, better, better than you think. I was reading this text, and um, and really where the whole message came from was a quiet time that I was having with the Lord. Um, we call it quiet time. I was praying. I don't, you know, now we have so many sophisticated names for things. My devotional time, my prayer time, my, my quiet time. And I got a post on Instagram, so you know I had it. Um, but um, just kidding. And so, but I was having, just talking with God, and, and I felt like, what God began to talk to me about was was just just how much He wants how much He wanted to be known, how much He wants us to know Him, and you'll seek Him and and find Him when you seek for Him with with all your heart. So it's just how much God God wants to be known. In fact, He told me He said a prayer that I will answer every time is when you pray to know Me. A prayer that I will answer every time and quickly is is when you pray because you want to know me. And I just thought in my own life, because obviously, I don't know if you know this, but being a pastor can be very distracting from your relationship with God. And probably being a Christian too, but I have, I, I have speak from my world. And there's so many things that go on, so many different demands and so many things you have to do and so many people that need things. And, and that's why you do this, like you love it, but you get so caught up with doing it. You get so caught up with being it that, that sometimes your prayer time is, is not about knowing God anymore. Your prayer time is about the person that needs help, the situation that needs funding. And all of a sudden you have all these prayer time. And, and, and if we're not careful, I know me and, and even, and here's the thing. It's not even that I'm praying selfishly. It's like, I'm not interceding that God would give me the lottery numbers. I'm, I'm praying for people in the church who are suffering. I'm praying that the staff would feel rejuvenated and refreshed and anointed today as they go about their work. I'm praying that, that God would provide the funds for the building so more people can come to know the love and grace of Jesus, so more people can jump into the story of God instead of trying to live out their own story. Like, I'm praying for really good things, but I'm praying so much for everything that it's that like we meet at 6 a.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays to pray and then Saturdays at nine to, to pray and we worship and pray um, and we're praying really good things. But all of a sudden he's like, you know, the prayer I'll answer every time is when you pray to know me. And I just thought, how many times in our life? I mean, no offense, but how many times in our life is, is God kind of the genie in the bottle? I thought, Britney Spears, he's, he's not the genie in the bottle. Mr. Aladdin, 
I have a wish or two or three. You know, he's, that's not what he is. And, and so my heart in this was, was to say in our lives, you know, I'll just give you the message and then I'll preach it again and then I'll preach it one more time. Um, that's a Bible school trick where you tell them what you're going to tell them, then you tell them, then you tell them what you told them. And by then everybody knows what you said. But I'm just wondering how many times our relationship with God is based on what we need instead of who we need to know. How many times is our prayer life center around what we need instead of who we need to know? That's my thought for the day. Write it down. You can go to sleep, but I do have three points because I am anointed. So write this down too. Number one, number one is God wants to be known more than he wants to be served. God wants to be known more than he wants to be served. This is verse seven from Hebrews eight. This is the first, if the first covenant had been without fault, like if it had been without fault, then there wouldn't have been a need for a second covenant to replace it. So essentially, here's what he's saying is there's this old covenant. If you're familiar with the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, but the covenants don't align with the testaments because John the Baptist is actually the, old the last Old Testament prophet. And the New Testament actually starts at the resurrection. That's our the new covenant. But the New Testament starts with the birth of Jesus. So we have this old covenant that covers these thousands of years, like from creation, you know, all, all the way to, to four, 400 BC, basically thereabout. And then we kind of have 400 silent years where the world is just waiting and creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. And then Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Okay. And so the old Testament, but, but we relate the old Testament to the old covenant and the old covenant we see, especially as we get into what we identified as, is the law, which starts starts kind of in Exodus with the people coming out of slavery and God gives the Ten Commandments and that's the start of the law. And then there's, you know, you read Leviticus, you know, I know many of you sit around and read Leviticus. It's very interesting. There's like a whole chapter on what to do if you get a scab under the law, right? And so, yeah, I know it's like a quiet time. It's the worst thing ever when, when someone is born again, they, they're not familiar with the church and they're like, I don't know, I'm just going to read a book of the Bible. I picked Leviticus, you know, and about halfway through, they're like, what is this? Where's Jesus? You know, he's in Leviticus actually, but... Um, <laughs> but the, the point is, the point is that, that then there's all, all this law, we call it the old covenant that God makes. It kind of starts with his, he, he, he made a covenant with Adam. He made a covenant with Noah. Uh, he made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Moses. And, and this covenant then he makes with the people of Israel, with God's people. And, but it's all, it's law. It's rules. It's how to sacrifice, when to sacrifice, daily sacrifices, yearly sacrifices, grain offerings and turtle doves and goats and all type. <laughs> like Peta would have such a problem with the Old Testament. But, um. But anyway, but here's the thing that the writer of Hebrews tells us that we really already know is that the first covenant, this old covenant, if you will, and it's called old because there's a new one, right? Um, but the first covenant, it didn't, it didn't produce what God wanted. 
That's why God said, no, this doesn't work. Now, truthfully, God didn't think it was going to work. He is all-knowing. God's never had one of those, it just occurred to me. He's never had one of those moments like, oh, that didn't work out like I thought. No, God is all-knowing, right? He, he doesn't have these epiphanies like, hmm, I didn't see that coming. You know what I mean? Wouldn't that be bad if you were having a prayer day? God, you know, this just happened, and God's like, hmm, give me some time. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> what do I do? Anyways, um, but the first one, the first covenant did, didn't accomplish what God wanted. And, and here was the breakdown in it. Because it was based on rules towards righteousness, it relied on human flesh. And so that's what Paul tells us in Romans 8. The, the law was weak because it relied on human flesh. It, it relied on us. And we're not good rule followers. Most of you sped coming to church today. Anyway, because some of you are running late, you just speed everywhere you go. How many have figured out they don't usually give you a ticket for eight or nine miles over the speed limit? Be honest, you're in church. You better raise your hand. Bunch of liars. Thank God we have a new covenant. You'd be dead right now. Because here's what we learned is that changing behavior on the outside doesn't change the condition on the inside. And that's why the law couldn't, couldn't help us because the problem is on the inside and so we can look right on the outside and still be screwed up on the inside. We can look churchy on the outside and <laughs> there's a lot of ways I could go with that one when I jumped into it. We can look churchy on the outside and we can be really, really messed up on the inside. We can be really, really broken on the inside. We, we can look like um, the greatest church person in the world and on the inside be so broken and so downcast and so depressed and feeling so unworthy and feeling so unloved. And, 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 and yet on the outside, I know how to put my Sunday game on and, and, and here I go. And so this was the problem. God said, this doesn't fix the problem um, because them changing their behavior on the outside is not changing actually or addressing what, what, I, what I want to actually fix. The problem is they are dead. I want to, to make them alive. The problem is, here's the big problem, they're dead because they're separated from me. And I'm life. In me is life. Like, so what John said about Jesus, in him was life, and that life was the light of man, right? That's why people were drawn to John the Baptist. I mean, drawn to Jesus because he was light. Just like mosquitoes to a bug zapper, that they're like, ooh, the light, right? That's why we're all drawn to Jesus. We're not mosquitoes, but we're drawn to Jesus. All right, it was the best analogy I could come up with. Um, you're a tough crowd. Um, but here's the bottom line. God, God wanted to be known, not just served. And the old covenant can turn into serving because it's all about these rules that, that are aimed at being right with God or righteousness. So it's about rules to be righteous, rules to be righteous. And, and so then we start not serving God as much as serving our perception of God or serving the rules. Right. So so I serve God based on how I see God. That was worth writing down right there. Anyways, I'll get back to that. All right. So so it was based on and it's based on our perception. And, 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 and so it's rules towards righteousness. And Paul told told the Romans um, in, in Romans three, verse 20, that no one can be righteous by the law. That's what he says. 
It says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. So, so, so we know then God didn't give us, he didn't give us this, this old covenant so that we would actually be made right with God. So what was the reason? Well, Galatians 3, Paul tells us he gave us this old covenant really to guide us towards Jesus. In other words, like he told the Romans, that the law was given so that every mouth would be stopped and everyone would realize we are guilty and can't fix it. Right. And so for for the Pharisees that 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 show up at the church or for any of us that that think that somehow keeping rules can give us a relationship with God, God gives us a law we can't keep so that we eventually clue into the fact that I need another way to be made right with God, that I can't do it in and of, its, of myself. And this is why Jesus talked to the Pharisees, the people who thought keeping the rules, number one, they all lied because they all said they kept the law and we know they can't. And, and so they're like, no, we're keeping the law and, and the law is life. No, 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 the law is death, according to Paul. The spirit is life. That's the new and better covenant. But Jesus said this to them, John 5, 39, he says, you search the scriptures for in them, you think you're gonna have eternal life. And these are they which testify me. In other words, the whole law and the prophets, and it, because by the way, they don't have the New Testament, they're writing it. So when he talks about you search the scriptures, he's talking about law and prophets. All the law and prophets are what we can't keep. But all the prophets prophesied just like Jeremiah to this day where God would do something restorative, redeeming, where he wouldn't abandon his people and he wouldn't leave us trapped in, in serving laws. And so, so for that reason, Jesus actually came. Jesus actually came. Listen, listen. Jesus didn't actually come so you could go to heaven. Jesus came so you could know God. And, and, and in a, and no, no offense, but in the Bible Belt in East Texas, I think sometimes we just get that confused. Oh, I got my ticket punched. It's not about a ticket. Okay, you're not going to Six Flags. Heaven doesn't run a greyhound. Jesus came, he told Philip, Philip says, show us the father. And Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen him. Yes. If you've seen me, like people, what's God like? He's like Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus cannot be anything God is not. If you've seen me, um, Paul told the Colossians in Colossians 1.15 that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So here we have Jesus coming. Now, why is Jesus coming? Jesus is coming so we can know God. Not so we can serve God. So we can know God. Not, not so we can keep rules to try to appease or please God. But, but so we can sit down and talk with him. So, so we can hear him. Right. This is what Hebrews said. Hebrews 10, same section. Uh, Hebrews 8 through 10 is, is this, you know, Jesus is better than the sacrifices in the Old Testament. But it's what it says. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. Why? Because the blood of Jesus, not because we got the rules right, not because we led a life group, not because we got a cross tattoo and not a skull tattoo. Um, not because we posted our Bible reading on Instagram. It's because... Not because we sacrificed a goat this morning. Um, 
It's Old Testament. Somebody's like, what? Y'all do that? I'm sorry, it's probably a guess. Yeah, they'll get your purse. Knew he was in the wrong church. Killing goats. Anyways. <laughs> by his death, look at this. By his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way. The curtain into the most holy place. So that's the presence of God. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, all right, so now he's saying Jesus is the great high priest, better than any priest. And because he's our priest, in other words, he is atoned for us. That was the work of the priest, right? He is atoned for us. Now we can go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Look at this. For our guilty consciences. This is what I love about God and I love about grace. God loves you so much. He will not only wash away your sin, he will clean your conscience. Like he loves you so much, he doesn't want sin to keep you from him. And he paid for sin. But you know what? Even the sin he paid for can still keep you from him if you're thinking about it in your conscience, if you have a guilty conscience. So God is so gracious, so loving, and so kind, and so much wants you to be with him that he not only washes away your sin, but he, he scrub-a-dub-dubs your conscience so that, so that how you think what do you think about you doesn't keep you from him? That's good to me. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So, so Jesus came. He came to reconnect us to, so we could know God. And this is what Hebrews 8, 11, we just read it. But it said, then, then you don't have, the, people aren't going to have to teach each other saying, this is how you know God or you should know God. He says, there's not going to be a need for that because you all will know him. You all will know him that this is Jeremiah's prophesying it. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, Hey, don't turn your back on God. This is what Jeremiah prophesied. You can actually know God. You don't have to just serve him. You can actually know him that your relationship with him is not based on how well you serve him. It's based on, on the work of Jesus as the high priest. Like this, this is, this is it. And so this is, so now Jesus in John 17, praying in the garden before he goes to the cross, gives us the supreme goal, the supreme calling of every human. And he sums it up. This is the, I like the way the passion translation, it's kind of my new jam, but the Passion Translation, I'm like, and John 17, 13 says, eternal life comes, eternal life means to know and experience you. Not, see, I like this version because we say, well, I know about God because on the first day he created this and on the second day he created this and God likes good things and he doesn't like us to be bad. No, 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 you're telling me about him. But do you know what makes him smile? Do you know what his smile looks like? Do you ever felt the warmth of his smile? Because that's an experience. Like this morning, like worship is an encounter with God. I was having an encounter with God because all of a sudden I felt God smiling. You know, there's a Christian who said, God dances over you. I don't know if it's break dancing or ballroom dancing. But this morning, some of you came to church and God was like, My boy. That's what he was saying. <laughs> but look, 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 this is the supreme calling. Eternal life means 
that you know and experience the only true God and that you know and experience Jesus Christ as the son that God sent. Like this is the supreme calling. And so this is what we see, by the way, all throughout the Bible. Remember Moses? God's like, Moses, these people are screwed up and I'm not going to be able to go with them. But check this out. He said, but I'm still going to give them the promised land. Now listen to this conversation. This is incredible to me. I'm still going to bless them because of what I promised. But, oh my God, this is crazy. But I'm not going to go with them. Do you know that God is so gracious? It is possible to have the blessing of God without the presence of God. This, I mean, this, this is the danger zone. Thank you, Kenny Loggins. This is the danger zone. The danger zone is, is when we equate blessing with presence. Because it is possible because of the grace of Jesus to live a, blair, a very blessed life and God not be anywhere around you. And, and so this is what, what, I mean, Moses is having this conversation. And, and this is what Moses says. I don't care about the blessing. I don't care about the blessing. If you don't go, I don't go. Moses said, I would sacrifice the blessing for your presence. And here's my question. Would we? Would we? Check your heart. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, would, would we do that? Or are we like, you know, God, I don't, the presence, that's eh, optional, but the blessing. Because remember, we're messed up people. If you don't know that, ask your spouse. We're messed up people. And sometimes we just, we just get things out of focus. And, and Moses, though, this is why he's the leader. It's why he's the man. Big Mo, because he is like, no, no, no. I will sacrifice the promised land and live in a wilderness if your presence is here. But I don't want a promised land void of your presence. It's incredible. Da David said, one thing I ask, one thing I seek. This is King David. That I would dwell in your house the rest of my life, right? Paul said, I count everything as garbage that I would just know you. That I would just know you. This is the supreme pursuit, if, if you will, that, that, that this new covenant is, is, is about knowing him. Here's the second thing, real quick, because i got to go on. The second thing is, the more I know God, the more I know myself. Yeah. I, I did a message um, that I got a, a lot of interesting feedback, so much so I want to write a book on it. And no, I'm not going to start writing a book today. Because I'll say that from time to time, and people say, when's the book going to come out? I don't know how to write a book, so I don't know. But it was the struggle for self. And it seemed to hit a nerve with a lot of people. Because like people, we, 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 we got a lot of stuff. We even have a good image. We just don't know who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and what I realized is the, the, the more we know who God is, the more we know who we are. Look, look, what, look what the writer of Hebrews says. He says this in ver, verse 8, and then in verse, I'm sorry, verse 10, and then in verse 12. In verse 10, he says, I will be their God. Again, quoting from Jeremiah, I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then verse 12, I will be merciful and then they will be forgiven. Yeah. And so it is in seeing who God is, I understand he's God. Oh, I'm his, I'm his person. Yeah. He's God. Oh, I'm his child. Yeah. When I see him, I know, oh, he's gracious. Oh, I'm forgiven. Yeah. 
he's merciful. Oh, I, I am redeemed, right? It is actually in seeing him that I begin to understand who I am. Like he is good. I am loved, right? Do, do you see what I'm saying? Like he is kind. I am favored. You know, it's, it's, it's the other side. Like, like he is, he has cast his, his gaze upon me. I have value. He is, he has determined my worth because he has sent his son. And so it is in seeing who God is that I begin to understand who I am. And I will never understand myself apart from God because no creation can understand itself apart from its creator. No masterpiece has context without its master. Are you, are you with me? And so it's actually in knowing him and seeing him that, that we are his workmanship. Oh, we're the pottery. He's the potter, not Harry, but he's the potter. He's the potter and we're the clay. We're the pottery to, to understand me. Th this is what A.W. Tozer said. What comes into our minds when we think about God, check this. I love this quote, is the most important thing about us. I'm going to read that part again, then I'll read the rest of the quote. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious, I can't say that word, fact about, I'm from Texas, fact about any man is, is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his Deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. And I would say, or move away from. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Here's what he's saying. You can't see yourself clearly until you see God more clearly. That, that you don't actually determine who you are in your reflection. You determine who you are in God's reflection. That, that, that we, Paul told the Colossians this uh, in verse, chapter 3, verse 10. And, and we have put on a new self. Look at this. We have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in knowledge after the image of his creator. A new self renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator, right? Uh, you, you'll never see yourself in the light of his law. You have to find yourself in, in the light of his grace, in the, in the light of his reflection. And I think this is the struggle we see with Jacob. Jacob was trying to find himself in, in what he had. Like, I want the birthright and I want the blessing, right? He was trying to find his reflection in his mom, who was the co-conspirator, um, right? For him to steal this, this birthright from, from his older brother or the blessing from his older brother. And so Jacob is just living up to what he thinks he is until he comes face to face with God. And it is in seeing God that God reveals to him, you are not Jacob, you're Israel. Like God all of a sudden put his life in context, in a context of the creator, not in a context of the chaos. 
And I think too many times we're trying to figure out who we are by looking at the chaos in which we live. And God is saying, no, 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 look to me as the creator because you're the creation. I'm the potter, you're the clay. I'm merciful, you are not consumed. I am loving, you have been redeemed. I'm gracious. You are favored. And so when I, when I see him, when I know him, then, then I know who I am. This is the last thing. Write this down. Um, you can know God as well as you want to know God. Man, this is, this is so simple, really, but it's so true that right now, and, and I don't mean this, in light of what, and I'm going to read the scripture in a minute, but in light of what Jesus has done, you're as close to God as you want to be. Now, I know you may be sitting here like, no, no, that's not true. No, it, no, it is. Now, you may not have been aware of that until now. This is why I do what I do. But you're as close to God as you want to be. Yeah. Hebrews eight eleven. look at this. It says, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying you should know the Lord. Look at this. For everyone, oh, I love this part, everyone, from the least to the greatest. From the least to the greatest. Everyone. Here's why I like this. Because you're in there somewhere. Yes. Yes. Right? Somewhere between zero and infinity is where you are. Yes. And that's what he's saying. From the least to the greatest. It's not just about like, it's not just, it's not just for pastors. It's not for presidents or kings. It's from the least to the great. Like if you're sitting here and you're thinking I'm the least, boom, you're in there. If you're in here and you're full of pride and you're like, I think I'm the greatest, you're still in there, but you need to get some humility about you. <laughs> like everyone from the least to the greatest. So here is this invitation and here is this opportunity. And thus the writer of Hebrews is writing to these Jews and saying, look, guys, don't go back to the law. Don't turn your back on the grace of God. Like you have an opportunity that the law cannot afford you. You can serve the law, but that's not the same as knowing the God of the law. And you can keep the law and never know the God that gave it. And he's like, but Jesus has come with this better covenant based on better promises that now not only can you conform your, your outward appearance, but you can be transformed on the inside and go from a slave to a son by the grace of God. That, that you can know him and you can be an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. Like you, you can know him. That, don't turn your back on, on the grace of God. That Jesus has done everything necessary. You, you can cease your labor because because the Old Testament priest, this is Hebrews 10, would stand daily ministering because the law never actually stopped sin, nor did the law remove sin. It just covered sin. But the Bible said Jesus offering one sacrifice for all sin, for all time, when he was finished, sat down at the right hand of God. Why did they stand and he sat down? Because he was finished. That's why this never gets finished. That gets finished. And so he's saying, hey, don't turn. Jesus has done everything. Don't turn 
Don't turn away from this, go to that. Don't serve God through a law when you can know him as a father. Hebrews 8, 10, it says, but this new covenant I will make. This new covenant with the people of Israel says the Lord, I'll put my laws in their minds and I'll write them on their hearts and I'll be their God. They'll be my people. In other words, like I'm going to do everything. And now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. How can, how can I know God? Because he puts his spirit in me. Like, what's more powerful? Because some people are like, well, you start teaching grace, you get away from the law, people are just going to be lawless, just going to be crazy. Okay, what do you think's better? A speed limit sign or a governor? Like, what's more effective? Like, putting my car, a governor on it, so it can't go more than 55 miles an hour, or a speed limit sign that says 55, what's going to be more effective? A law or a governor? The governor. This is, what, this, is what, this is what Jeremiah says, what Hebrews said. What's more effective? You're trying to please God. What's more effective? Following the, the Torah and all the written laws, and by this time there's like 640 laws to follow. Remembering and trying to follow 640 laws, or how about just the Holy Spirit comes and fills you? Like, like who God is fills you up. And, and now the Holy Spirit has this amazing, amazing power because he can tell you before you mess up. Because you know you've had this experience. Because you were about to say it and he said, huh? <laughs> Sorry, Jesus. You were about to do it. And he, mm -mm. You were about to post it and you heard a mm-mm. Now, you may choose to ignore it, but this is what he's saying is that he, the Holy Spirit, how do we know God? God is spirit. So we don't, we, we, there's a lot of ways to know God. Obviously, there's his word. Obviously, um, we actually know God through other people. True, that, that uh, 1 Peter 4.10 says that we all distribute the grace that God has put in our lives. And so people get to see God in your life and God through you. That's very, very true. But we know God by his spirit. So whether it's his word or whether it's his, his, his spirit leading and prompting and learning to hear and rely on him, that, that we can know him. And that's what he's saying. Like God took all this external law that you use to serve God and, and he upgraded it. And now he put it inside you so that now if you'll listen to the voice of God, and you'll listen to the, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So sons of God have the Spirit of God. Thus, they are now not living by external laws. They are living by, by what God is doing on the inside of them. If you live by that, you're going you're gonna to know him. And he's going to lead you toward him, himself. Now, here was the problem. Here was the problem. Think about where they're at. They're, in, they're encountering persecution and threats and all those things. And the decision they make was much like Israel made in, in, when Moses was leading them. They thought, watch this, over here, trying to know God, this new covenant is coming with a lot of pushback and threats that, that we don't experience in America, but people do around the world. And they thought it would be easier, listen to this, it would be easier to serve God than to know God. It's the same experience that, that Israel in Exodus chapter 20 <clears throat> 
God brings them out of Egypt. Think about this. Brings them out of Egypt. Miraculous. Parts the Red Sea. Walking through on dry land. Drowns the strongest army in the world. Like that's intense. Brings them to Mount Sinai. And tells Moses, will you tell them to, to purify themselves for three days? Because I want them to come to the mountain and I want to speak to them. Yeah. I want them to know me. Yeah. And they get ready and they freak out. And they tell Moses, you tell God, you talk to God and tell us what he says. But we're not going to go meet with God or we might die. Here's what they said. It's going to be easier for us to serve God than to know God. And can I tell you, I think that's the thing we still face today. Can I tell you, that's the thing I think we still deal with today. I think for a lot of people, they're like, no, no. If you just kind of give me, give me some rules, a checklist, if you would. Um, like w go to church when I can, you know, uh, play Hillsong once a week. Try to be in a life group if I can and, you know, maybe give something to offering occasionally, especially if I had a bad week. Because um, we say we're not legalistic, but we are. We are. Right. Here's how I know. If anything you do, anything you do, if you feel like it changes your position with God or his countenance towards you, you're legalistic. Because what grace says, the law says that the blessing um, and his presence is all about my performance. Grace says that his presence and, and even blessing and favor is all about Jesus' performance. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not going to change. That's why he is the mediator of this covenant because he can't ever change. So if you think God's countenance towards you our God's favor towards you, our God's thoughts towards you change with your behavior, you're legalistic. And you're under the law. And sometimes we think, this is what we think, it's just easier to serve God than it is to know Him. Because, check this, here, I kind of keep God on the outside. This new covenant, He'll write on your let me keep God on the outside. Let me keep him over here. Let me keep him as in this box of religion. I prayed a prayer. I did that. I gave an offering one time. I went back. I got baptized one time. I've been to a life group. It was 80 years ago, but I'm in one. Keep God out here. It's easier to keep God out here. God doesn't want to be out here. Everything he did was because he wants to be in here. They said, we don't want to talk with God or we'll die. No, 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 no. The truth is, that was the truth and also not the truth. The truth was, they weren't going to die. God wasn't going to kill them. That'd be kind of dumb. I brought you to the mountain to kill you. You know, that would... <laughs> Purify yourselves and come and be my sacrifices. <laughs> Sorry, you know, uh, I don't think that's what God was doing. I don't think that's what God was after. 
but they were going to have to die because they were going to have to die to being in charge of what's on the inside. And they were going to have to let God be in charge of what was. They were going to have to let God in. And it was easier to keep God over there. Like if he's over there, just give me the list. I'll follow the list and we're good. And when I miss one, I'll do something extra to get back good again. Now, we wouldn't live this way today, but. (laughs) And here's the thing. God doesn't want to be served. He wants to be known. And he doesn't want to be on the outside of the box, the outside of your life. He doesn't want to be your religion. He doesn't want to be your rules. He wants to be your father. He wants to be, he wants to be known by you. Here's the prodigal son. Think about this. The prodigal son used the grace of his father to move away from him. Now, I, I can say it in a lot of different ways, but I'm just wondering, isn't that sometimes what we're guilty of? That, that sometimes, <clears throat> like the prodigal son, there was an area in his life that he thought his, his, his dad wouldn't approve of that he wanted to, 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 to go with, right? Prodigal means unrestrained. And so what he actually says is, will you give me my inheritance, even though you're not dead yet? <laughs> That's kind of a nice thing to say, not really. <laughs> but will you give me your, your, my inheritance I want the favor and the blessing, and then I'm going to use that to live as far away from you as I can, but still be considered your family. This is the great perversion of grace, I think. Like grace is greater than you think. But, but how many times do people say, well, it's okay, I'm under grace. Is it really okay? Is that what grace? Because when the prodigal son comes back to the father after, he's, after all the prostitutes didn't, didn't work and all the money didn't work and all the drugs didn't work and the substances didn't work and after he swiped right on Tinder so many times that his phone wore out he comes back to the father and then learns what grace is about because he comes back saying I'll serve you I'm not worthy to be your son just make me like one of your hired servants and the father's standing there with a robe and a ring and some J's And he's saying, I never wanted you to be my servant. I wanted you to be my son. And my grace is what empowers and enables you to move towards me and to know me, not to move away from me, but to move towards me. And so all I'm saying is this, God wants to be known, not served. When I know him, I know me. And I know God as well as I want to know him because he's made a way. That's what the writer is telling the Hebrews. It is better than you think. Don't go back to serving a law when you can know the God that gave it. Amen. Can you give Jesus praise this morning? He's here. He loves you. Why don't you stand with me?